Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Billy Jones, the author of Everyday Folks Books and the creator of Everyday Folks Radio here on Blog Talk Radio. Today is June 26, 2016, and it's a beautiful Sunday afternoon. I do hope that you're spending time doing the things that you enjoy if you're not at work. And this is a great time, of course, for listening to BJ Speaks. Today's show is a very different show from all the other segments that I have taped or or broadcast. On this particular show, it's a variety hour, and that for once, there are no interviewees. It's just me in the studio conversing with you, talking about a variety of things, although although today's show has a particular focus. On this variety show, I'll be covering topics such as the Orlando tragedies and how to use crises and other challenges as vehicles for, for social change and how to channel that into our artistic expression. One of my favorite phrases that I like to say often is, I write best when I'm at my highest or lowest moment. And as a writer, it is important for me to be in the right moment. Sometimes if I'm at my highs, highs meaning I'm feeling really good, I had a great week, or I'm just having a great moment at any particular time of the day. And then those lows when things are just feeling like crap. And I feel in either instance, I'm writing at my best. So this show is going to focus on that and then take it a step further, perhaps giving those of you who are first-time writers a chance to get a glimpse into how to develop these emotions, how to cope with these emotions in writing, and above all, how to to create as a result a very polished and, and, and truthful product that represents who you are and what you're feeling. If at any time you'd like to speak to me during this show, you may call me at 347-539-5372. I'll repeat that number. It's 347-539-5372. And if you'd like to inbox me with your, your questions, comments, or requests, my email address is everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com. Again, that is everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com. Before I begin also, I'd like to send out a few shout-outs. Last week has been a, a historic week for me uh, because of the fact that I was had the privilege of birthing another student organization at Broward College located in, in, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I have the privilege of working with some of the most amazing scholars. And in the classroom, yes, the magic happens there, but what you can do with them outside of the classroom in extracurricular or co-curricular opportunities, it really helps make the day. So I'm proud to announce that we have created, and I say we because there are about seven or eight founding students, we created Writing Out Loud, which is a writer's guild, an artistic guild, an artist guild for people who are interested in writing um, any forms of artist, art, artistic expression and as well as interest in film and journalism. And so we will commence this fall with the start of this great organization, Writing Out Loud, a.k.a. as an acronym WALL. And I'm so delighted to work with these amazing students. As well, I need to give a shout-out 
about 24 hours ago, I had the pleasure of spending some time with, with some brothers of my dear organization, New Omicron Delta Fraternity Incorporated, to my brothers who I had time to spend that spend a great evening with, Brother Fabio Ferreira, Brother Nicholas Etienne, Brother David Jackson, who was the chef for the evening, and as well as Brother Dane Johnson and Brother Joshua Lopez. Thank each of you for a great evening. It's great to fellowship with you and to be in your company again and again. And also a special shout-out to Anike on a journey into passion, my dear friend and colleague. She continues to flourish with her, her show, and she is taking on an exciting journey. If you haven't checked her out, go to Anike Madison's Facebook, and she posted a video last week that talks about some of her particular things that she's working on. One is her own, um, her health, and I think it's an impressive challenge, and I think you should tune in weekly to see what she's about, whether it be on her blog, on the Nikkei Madison blog, or even on her social media channel, or Betty at both. Support her and support her here on Everyday Folks Radio as she continues to chronicle that exciting journey. As well, yesterday, as busy as it was, I also had the opportunity to see another colleague off into her retirement. I always say to individuals who start their retirement, congratulations to you. This year, uh, this past month actually marked the end of my 20th year of my career. And so as I have overpassed the hump, rather, in terms of my career, I start realizing that retirement is something special. It doesn't mean the end. It signifies the beginning. So congratulations to my dear colleague, Virginia Nugent, who was the lab manager at Miami-Dade College. She ran that lab for many years, and finally she gets the time now to spend her retirement with her family, her grandkid, and as well as her amazing husband, John. So continue to flourish there, um, dear Virginia. And congratulations as well to my colleagues. It's great to see all of you, those of you who helped create me and mold me and mentor me into my career I got a chance to see some of you who showed up for her retirement, too. So it's great to see you, and we definitely will be remaining in touch as we always do. And then lastly on my shout-out list, I have one more thing. I'd like to say thank you to you, the listeners, who continue to support what we do at Everyday Folks. We are almost near breaking that 1,400 listener milestone. We're not quite there yet, but with your help, we can get there. So please do continue to listen in. Whether you're listening on this show, BJ Speaks, or Daily Dose of K-Pop with, with our crew, or with AS on Journey into Passion, we are doing what we do best, and that is bringing a platform for everyday folks and everyday individuals, a chance for them to express themselves in, an, in the electronic world and to give them a, a place to be. So thank you for supporting us in that regard. Lastly, in that, on that list, thank you for all of your support. We have now hit close to 30 episodes of programming here on Everyday Folks, and that's, that's a testament to us. We're very proud. We are now ending the year, half of the year. June 30th is coming, and as that signifies the second half of our, of our year, it also shows that we have been here since January 1st making things happen for Everyday Folks. So thank you so much. I just want to give you all that. So to get to the subject of the matter today, it's important that we realize that when we write about tragedy, tragedy, it taps something inside of us. It takes us to a place that we all don't plan for. And I can honestly say none of us plan for a tragedy. And even though we can have, we do, we do, but no one expects it, I should say. 
And so when it does occur, it forces us to reflect and it forces us to put ourselves, because as survivors, we are all survivors of any tragedy, whether we were directly or indirectly related. In, in that regard, as an artist, for me, for instance, the time, it, especially those tragedies that really touched me, such as the one that happened in Orlando, my home state, it's important that we take a moment to reflect. And so my writing takes on a, a different voice, and it takes me to a different place, and I use that time to create and also hopefully create verbiage that could be a platform or a vehicle for change because I feel that the more that we share and express who we are, the less likely we are to have some of the things that people keep bottled up on the inside. And so writing in today's topic that we're going to talk about, I'm going to, I'm going to cover four particular areas. And the areas are characterization in writing, invoking the human senses in writing or artistic expression. Yes, I'm speaking from a writing perspective, but this is open to all the categories of art, artistry. Thirdly, separating personal from scripted feelings and emotions. And then lastly, the whole notion of what it means to generate dark writing. And dark writing is not just horror. It's, just, it's, it's writing that re- reflects on the emotions that are sometimes, and we don't like to reveal a, or acknowledge that exists in all of us, but they do. So we'll go ahead and start first with characterization. And in characterization, I always tell writers, there are few writers or artists, there are certain expectations we all have to bring to the table before we start producing. And some of these things are on autopilot. They automatically occur. They're innate, and we just start birthing what we feel or what we, what we do. But I do want to deliver these in five particular points. The first point is find a focus or interest. So whether it be I like, for instance, I write short stories and I like to write poetry. And I love novel writing. And so my interest is there. So the things that I generate naturally, are they come from there. They emanate from there. But for you, find a focus or an interest. Maybe perhaps you've always liked doodling while you're sitting in a meeting. Or you like to write a few words or write everyday phrases or sayings. It doesn't have to be anything so rehearsed or scripted. But nonetheless, it's artistry. Find what that focus is. And then after you've done that, Second step is to find to research that topic. It's important to know a bit about what you're doing, and also to understand from whom have walked the path that you're about to walk in terms of the art or the artist's expression. So do your research, and the research should be very reflective, and it should be fun. Don't be afraid to go outside of your own culture, go across different time periods, look in history, look at your own backyard in terms of genealogy. There are opportunities for um, for gathering information, collecting information or data. Because even if you're writing in a fictional world, you still have to keep some derived element of truth. If not, people won't find it credible or believable, and they won't be enraptured by the storyline. And then third, enlist a good teaching uh, technology source. My world in this era of digital rhetoric, I cannot exist without my MacBook Pro and as well as without my, my iPad Pro and all the other constructs that are available online through Web 2.0, through Google, you name it, I I use all of these resources in order to create the forum that I provide to you, the listener. And so it's important that you find those things. You don't have to do a million things, but find a pathway of of, of expression or a platform that will work for you, that's consumable for you, and also for the potential audience you're trying to reach. And then fourth, Draft a schedule to write. 
or to produce your artistry. I write weekly. I write often. In fact, right before this show air, uh, began, about a couple of hours ago, my muse spoke to me, and I actually generated two poems that I'm going to be reading on air today. And these poems signify the type of emotion, especially when it comes to the human senses, how you can evoke all of them within the confines of poetry. And so I'll be sharing that in a free verse form. That's still a work in progress, but I'm very confident in sharing it with you today. So making sure that you create that time, whether it be sitting at the airport waiting for the plane, you're waiting, sitting extensively on jury duty, and you're waiting for your number to be called or not to be called, whatever the case may be, find time, have your, your resources available to you, whether it be technologically or padded stand, and start writing. And then lastly, don't forget to immense, to immerse yourself in a community of other artists. Artists. So if you are a painter, for instance, or you're interested in, in being part of a, a group in that regard of illustration, make sure you join a group with this one locally. And if there isn't one, start one. And it doesn't have to be something that's totally scripted, but it should be a forum for sharing and engaging. I myself recently, along with Anike Madison and our friend Leslie, we decided to become um, in, in interest uh, or at least potential members because we're still in the process of full admission into the South Florida Writers Association, and this is in our own backyard. So it's great to be in such a community because you get a chance to immerse yourself with others who are in the industry. And it doesn't matter if they're writing what you're writing or not. The goal is it's all about motivation and critical feedback because all the feedback you get, as subjective as it may be, it is very helpful for improving you and taking your writing, your expression to another level. So those are the expectations first. If you'd like to speak to, speak to me at any time during this show, you're welcome to call me at 347-539-5372. Again, that is 347-539-5372. And if you're a little shy and you prefer to inbox me at my email address, you may do so at everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com. Again, that is everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com. I actually have a question here that I'd like to read that came in from Dale from Ocala, Florida. Dale, thank you for listening up in Central Florida. And Dale writes the following. I'm having a hard time deciding what type of character I want to develop for my horror storyline. Any tips? Hmm. Good question, Dale. So horror, when I, when I was a kid, I was always fascinated with horror writing or sci-fi. And it wasn't until my teenage years, I was about 15 or 16 when I began to shift. So authors who, who shaped my interest in, in the genres are Stephen King, Anne Rice, Clyde Barker, H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Allan Poe, Emily Dickinson, they all helped. And, and, and Octavia Butler, uh, who was uh, actually outside of the 16 range, but still had an impact because I know that she was releasing, Octavia at that particular time was releasing some things at a local level that I was able to come across. I didn't realize until I got older. So the ending of horror is shaped by those big mainstream writers, historic and contemporary. One of the tips that I suggest in developing your character is finding out first, make a storyline, make an outline of that character. What do you want this character to do? To do? As the protagonist, which is the, the character who, the main character receives the conflict, what type of conflict do you want this person to have? And even though I may not know that quite yet, it's important that you provide that for your reader because at the end of the day, each of your speakers 
each of your, your, your characters are going to need a platform or a premise to develop. And so whoever the antagonist is, that is the individual who is going to, the main character who will be causing the conflict for, the, for your main character, your protagonist. Decide who that will be or what that will be. And, it, and, and try not to, to focus on the obvious. Case in point, Edgar Allan Poe does a great job, in fact, of not playing in the obvious. What he likes to do sometimes, the enemy is another man, man versus man in terms of conflict. In other instances, the conflict is someone, for instance, who could be, it could be our own selves, so it's man versus self. But at first, the way it's painted, the, the way you glorify it in, in your writing, it all depends on the angle and the words that you choose in order to paint that picture. So an element of mysticism and suspense is very important. Does the character learn or develop or grow? And then if that's the case in the storylines, they should. How? And how do stock figures, who are the types of people you're going to um, have engaged with this character? What will they do? And what would the setting be? I mean, for instance, I like to, to start a lot of my stories. They happen right here in South Florida. But that doesn't always have to be the case. I, even if, if I want them to take place in Las Vegas, for instance, I need to give a sense of setting and geographic location. And in that regard, it's important that you, as a writer, make sure you do your research to make sure that the individual that you're painting or creating really matches the setting because it's not good if you're talking about standing on the strip in, in, in Las Vegas and not having a general sense or at least alluding to some of the main uh, shows or places, unless that's your focus and you prefer not to, it's important to keep a sense of truth to what you do, even if it's fictional. So please make sure that you to develop your character. Find out who he is. Don't be afraid to put yourself in it. If you could take yourself and make yourself into someone totally different. This is a not a great writing could be a great role play experience, or in a very more truthful aspect, if you prefer to focus on yourself and paint a, a storyline that's true, then go there too. So you can email me, if you will, Dale, back, and we can follow up. We can have an offline conversation about your interests, and let's see what that, where that takes us. So here's the, here's the poem. This poem that I created, I decided to share a poem for the sake of time. Poetry is very good because so few words say so much. It's a great for this show's platform because I'm able to share with you some of the – and talk to you afterwards about the characterization and the imagery and development that this poem provides. So I titled this poem, The, uh, the Silence, and it is one, two, three, four stanzas, each stanza having a varying length or a number of lines, about four to five lines. I may post this online once it's done, but for now, here it is. There is no noise. The music has stopped. No laughter. Strobe lights ceased. Confusion abound. The popping, the shrills, the madness. People scattering like roaches when the lights are turned on, trying to find their way out, seeking refuge. Snapchat posts. Call 911. Ten seconds lapse. Then nothing but silence. Sounds drawing nearer, taking refuge in a bathroom stall. The crying, begging, and half apologies. None of it seems to matter. An hour passes. No one comes. Sense of blood in the air. The unanswered prayers and silence. When it was over, silence lingered in the background. She wore a carbon-colored veil so her face remained obscure. 
A black rose was laid in her lap, her head bowed. Her sisters, doubt and revenge, comfort her. Now silence is the victim. It's funny. When tragedy strikes, silence remains speechless. But her presence causes such a calamity. And in years to come, strangely, we'll grow to appreciate her during moments of introspection. So this poem, what I tried to do here is, what I did here, was evoke all the human senses within the context of the poem. If you haven't read or you're just tuning in, this poem reflects the tragedy of Orlando. So as I was writing this, I couldn't help but recall the numerous storylines through the media that I heard of survivors of of, of this tragedy. And I placed myself at a moment from the moment when the gunman walked into the room, to the facility, and began his tirade, and to the moment with some of the members, the, the, the club goers, they ran into the bathroom stall to find themselves uh, in safety or find safety or refuge. I wanted to capture all that, and I didn't want a whole lot of words to do it because what was so tragic enough was enough was, was justly provided by what was already provided through media, et cetera. But what I did here was that I played on words. And I wanted the, uh, the, uh, the audience to get a sense of visual perspective of where I was going. So the image, if you notice, was quite dark. And what was even more interesting is that I tried to use, I embodied some personification. I used similes and metaphors. Personification is when you're giving human qualities to inanimate objects, such as the trees dance idly in the breeze. We know that trees don't dance, but when we give human qualities to that tree, it makes it more interesting. Or when I'm making a comparison between two objects, we, we call those metaphors. So she is the sunshine in my life. I'm comparing the she to the sunshine, and we know that they're different, but we bring them together or pair them through this metaphoric representation. And then we have what are similes. It's the same thing as a metaphor, but we're using the words like or as, such as Laura is as cunning as a fox. We know that Laura and a fox are not the same, but when we compare them or, or marry them in one context, it makes it more interesting. So I I dispersed or distributed, I should say, different parts of imagery personification and similes within the context context of the poem. But what's interesting is that at the very end, silence takes a a, a figure, she takes a a human form, a female form, and it's almost like as if she's at a funeral. And she's a funeral goer and she's the widow of everyone else's pain or suffrage. And she's comforted by her two sisters, doubt and revenge. And I think in the end, it's very true because even though she never says anything, she doesn't make a sound, but her presence is so gripping. And I wanted to evoke that within the context of the poem and leave the audience in stanza four with an epiphany. And that epiphany is that when tragedy strikes, Silas never has anything to say, but everyone knows it's there. In those awkward moments of silence when we find comfort sometimes, uh, moments of introspection, we are not, I cannot say that we find a resolution because it is what it is, the tragedy or circumstance, but it does provide some calm, some relative calm, and I wanted to reflect on that in the context of the poem. And so, again, what you just heard was a reflection of how I took the tragedy of Orlando and I turned it into prose. And the goal here is not for me to get out there and start publishing work on tragedy. 
but just to show how it's times like this that allow us as writers and artists to draw on those particular experiences. I use my real-world connections to draw that in, and I think that's very important for you to do as well as you're discovering yourselves as, as artists. Here's a question from Chris from Austin, Texas. Chris, thanks for listening. He writes the following, or she, because Chris could be a male or female. I recently lost a loved one due to a tragedy. I've never written before nor been into art, but I find it could be helpful to my situation. Where should I start? Well, Chris, two things that I would recommend. One, making sure that you don't, be, don't feel that you need to be so scripted and stilted in your writing. Just start drafting and producing what, what gets you going. So if it means you have to script, scribble things or draw them or write them in a journal or a piece of paper, just do it. Write it on a napkin, whatever it is that you have at your disposal. But also, I think before, in, if, if you want to dabble in, in, in artistry for the pleasure of it, then surely writing a book and understanding the conventions and the, the business aspect of it all may not be something that you want to pursue. But there are options that are available in your local communities, the community colleges and other support groups and special interest groups, even museums offer, where they have a paint night, bring your own beer and paint night. There's all kinds of things that are out there. And it's providing an opportunity for people to express themselves through artists, through, through artistry. And I think it's important that you get out there and get, in, get involved with things like that. But also, if, if, if you really need the help, you need someone to talk to, Yes, even though it's great to, to talk through your, your, art, your artistry, but it may also be helpful to talk to someone as well. So get in touch with someone who is very important uh, and also unbiased uh, in terms of helping you see your circumstance, whether it be a therapist or a doctor, significant others and family members is great, but if they're part of the tragedy or circumstance and they may need coping too, you may want to go outside of your immediate family unit in order to get that support. So it's important that you make sure that you find the, the, the avenue that works best for you. But in the, at the end, you, if, if art is what you want to turn to, this tragedy could actually turn into a triumph. Use it as an opportunity to explore some hidden talents or truths about yourself and use them to, to let out or vent some of these frustrations. There's another comment coming in. Thank you for listening, Amike. She writes, congratulations to you and your students on writing out loud. I'm excited about this new journey and will support it any way I can. To the students, please know that if you want it, Dr. Jones can help you soar. Great show so far, taking notes. <laughs> Thank you, Anike, for your support. And, folks, as we continue, if you're listening now for the very first time, we've already passed a half hour. Today is DJ Speaks a Variety Hour, and, I'm, and the title of this show is titled, Tragedy generates creation. Using the circumstances, whether it be the Orlando tragedy or anything else that's going on in your life for that matter, and using them as stepping stones to developing your artistry. If you'd like to speak to me, you may call at 347-539-5372. Again, my call in for you is 347-539-5372. And my inbox, and I have to admit I'm getting lots of emails at this point, my inbox is everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com. Again, that is everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com. So you just 
recently we just discussed characterizations and how to b- develop that using some of the literary devices, such as personification, simile, metaphor, and, and imagery. Imagery, by the way, is when the author paints a picture with words, and, and that picture, that visualization, or that characterization through just sensory details, it makes a difference. That brings me to number two, evoking the human senses. So we evoke the human senses in our writing. It's important that we accomplish them by doing a couple of things. And one of the things that I find very interesting is that writers, beginning or veteran, they forget that we have these beautiful five senses, touch, smell, taste, hearing, et cetera. We have these amazing human senses that provide us an opportunity to live our world. Smell and taste go hand in hand. And it is true that if you lose sense of one of those two, you're most likely to be impaired in the other. But when you five into to the conversation of writing or artistry, it makes for a great experience, not only for the person who's creating it, but also for the person who's receiving it. And so when you're evoking human senses, don't be afraid to walk us through and walk your audience through what it is that you want to feel. So often we focus on the race, the race to completion, instead of focusing on the intricacies of the details and the sensory words that could make things work. And the poem that I'm about to read now is called Thoughts. This one, again, I just produced. I, was in a mo- I had a muse speak to me and whispering in my ear earlier today, and I produced the first poem, which was sil- The Silence. And now this one's called Thoughts. As you listen to my reading of this poem, notice, if you will, the types of, image, the types of sensory details that I embed within the context of the poem. So as you're reading, what do you hear? Or what could you surely see? Or touch, taste, or smell? Let's see if I embody them all. I will admit I may have missed a couple, but it's a start, and I think it's great for our learning purposes here. Here goes the poem. It is titled Thoughts. I reach inside to feel for it, my heart, and it's still there. What's left of it? Hairline cracks obscured from view. They remind me of you, you. I do not have all the answers. I only sense my emotions. You are one for words I see. They ring in my ear like a fire siren, finding an escape route to my heart. There, another crack. This one's for you. If I could desire a better outcome, it would be to get rid of you. But your likeness holds my fascination in my thoughts. And the reminders of what could have been play a symphony in my brain. Their melodious sounds haunt my nights and chill my days. I do not wish for the music to end. Broken records, repeat, repeat tracks, have no ends. My thoughts are like a disease. They feast on things that the body needs and make a mockery of the blood vessel's curse course. It's returned, that stupid pain in my stomach, and another freaking hairline crack in my heart. Vengeful thoughts, they and I will never part. So, in this particular poem, everything that I just produced was in my head. And as I sat and I, I, I imagined this poem happening, 
I, I went from the top of my head, I closed my eyes, and I went to the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, and I tried to experience whenever we have thoughts that I have a, a thought, especially a negative thought, how much does that thought control me or rule my life or my being? And I wanted to evoke that in the, in the visage of a poem. And so it started with my heart, because we all know when we speak from romantic literature that when we speak of matters of the heart and of love, they start there. And so I wanted to start there. And I really wanted to embed some elements that were different from the aspects of love, such as the hairline crack. I mean, a hairline crack, even though we see a crack in a wall or in, or in a cylinder or anything else that we need to work, if it's a pipe, for instance, if there's a hairline crack, we see that there's a leak, but we don't know where it's happening, but things, things aren't functioning as well. I wanted to convey that same feeling when it came to the obscurity of this particular issue in my heart. Because if you're not careful, thoughts can do that. They can eat into places and onto things that are dire to us, and, they, and it could be quite catastrophic. And as I continued, I began to hear music and the melodies, and the melodies now were the thoughts that now became the melodies of my mind and heart. I wanted to embed that, that ideal, and I wanted to and, and also bring in the auditory senses as well, which made for a crafty understanding. But there was consummation at last in the final stanza, which is stanza five, where my thoughts are like a disease. They can be. And I always say to folks, I say this to my students all the time, if you're going to have negative thoughts, be careful because you get what you put out there. So it's hard, and, and we're human, and we're capable of having our moments. You can have moments of feeling blue, but if they become prolonged and they develop into depression, it could be even more devastating. Now, taking all that aside, if I could channel those feelings into my prose, it makes for a more captivating reading. And I use such things such as lines such as they feast on things that the body needs. The fact that the thoughts now become this type of fungus or disease or illness that, that, that feeds on the, the, the spirit of my being, that's powerful. Or making a mockery of the blood vessels, we know that thoughts themselves have no voice, but yet they do because I create them. And the fact that they are now taking on all the arteries and vessels that lead to the flow of life and, and, and blood that I need to live, how can my heart continue to flourish? And if it does, there are hairline cracks where all those things are going to leak. So I plain all that, moving outside of the whole symbolism behind this thing. The point being here, the point here is quite simple. I wanted to embed an idea that thoughts can be so devastating. And so as we talk about the notion of human senses, we have to also mention the fact that separating the personal from the scripted is important that who you are as an individual and what you decide to write about, I always say don't, don't write about things that you're going to feel sen sensitive about. The more sensitive they are, you have to be in a different place in order to reflect back because at some point you're going to have to tap a place, and that place that makes the moment special, you're going to have to be able to separate yourself from that truth. And if you're not ready to write about that, then you shouldn't be producing it, or at least you could write about it but not share it with the world. So it's important to know where you are in your own circumstance, especially when it comes to tragedy or pain or any other dark forms of writing, where you are, where are you in ter as it relates to the topic. And if you're okay with going in, then go forward. But if it's still a very sensitive time, you may want to retract your thoughts. There are a few more questions that are coming in, and I'm going to try to knock out some of these. This is from Maria in Miami, Florida. Maria writes the following. Thanks for representing here in my hometown. In the midst of the anguish, I find 
comfort, she says, through art during times of tragedy. How do how do you work with emotion but keep it from becoming the downfall of the writing? The question, Maria, as I just previously stated, I have to know where I'm at in the circumstance. So, if I, for instance, about 10 years ago, I went through a semi-bad breakup, even though it wasn't so – it was tragic to me at the time. I was in my early 30s. But I also realized that at the end of the day, I still had to live, I still had to eat, and I also had to come home to an empty house. And I remember feeling so angry because at that point I was really feeling how I felt for this person. But I also acknowledge that sometimes people are quite toxic and I need to separate myself from toxicity. So what I did at that moment was channel it into some writing. As a result, I just started scripting things. and I wrote a wickedly great oxymoronic phrase there, a wickedly great story for everyday folks, which is going to be appearing in my next, next spring as a story. And what I wanted to do was try to channel that. So what I've done here is I, I try not to get caught up. Because the moment I start getting caught up, this writing should be therapeutic for me. It should not be bringing more tragedy. And if you find yourself in a circumstance, Maria, where that writing become, brings more tragedy, then you need to walk away from it for a little bit until you come to a time and a place where you're able to reintroduce it. More questions and comments are coming in. And this one comes from Niles from Jackson, Mississippi. Niles, thanks for listening over in Mississippi. He writes the following for fiction. Thanks for the question, Niles. I'll be honest, I, I know that I, am a, I love writing short stories. Short story writing is my calling, and I also like novel writing. But I would say the past decade I began to really embrace my poetry ability. And so there is where I'm now still in, in, in work in progress, as we all are as writers. I'm a work in progress in all the facets of writing. But especially in poetry, I'm finding a new fascination, hence the reason why I've created the next potential book that will be coming out. Our book will be coming out in 2018, which is a, South, a, book on, a poetry book on the various historic sites of South Florida. Very exciting stuff. And so I find that I, I write my best on short stories because I just love writing short stories and having a sense of start and completion. And writing short stories is quite hard. People think they're much easier, but it's not. But I like that, and I've always played in that, and I really look forward to short story writing and any discussions there, too, when I was an undergrad, in undergraduate and graduate school. And I remember Professor Mel Bauer at Florida International University focusing us on short story writing. I just thought of, I found my home, but it doesn't still preempt me from reading other things. So I definitely find interest in that regard. For those of you who are listening now, you're listening to Beat Me, DJ, Billy Jones, the author of Everyday Folks Books and the creator of Everyday Folks Radio. I'm down to the last 20 minutes of my show. If you'd like to speak to me via email, you may email me at everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com. Again, that is everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com. Or you may call me, don't be shy, at 347-539-5372. Again, that is 347-539-5372. I must admit that some of my calls that have been coming in have been quite over the past few weeks, it's been quite silent, but the email questions have been amazing. And so we're going to go ahead and take a comment here. This is from Mario from Hollywood, Florida. Hello, Billy. Great show as always. Thank you, Mario. Thank you for sharing the silence poem. Even before you mentioned the Orlando tragedy, I could visualize the scene as you were reading the poem on the air. The power of words can really need people to reflect on oneself, our environment, and the world. In solidarity with Orlando, you rock. Best regards, Mario. 
Thank you so much, Mario. And what what you experience is exactly what I wanted my audience to achieve. And yes, we all hear the stories. And even as much as I wanted to turn the television off, I felt compelled to still be in the moment and, and tune in because it was my duty. And the story itself of regardless where you may where anyone may stand in terms of their belief system, a human life is a human life. And so I appreciate you celebrating that with me in the listening of this poem. Thank you so much. There are more comments that are coming in. This one comes in from Joy Adriana. Hey, it's Joy Adriana. Just wanted to let you know that I really love how the poem was written. You painted a clear picture for me to be able to imagine the whole situation in Orlando. Thank you so much, Joy Adriana. And I must say that, again, I was not there, if you notice. I wasn't part of the experience, nor did I know anyone in my immediate or extended support groups or family of friends, that is, or colleagues who were there. But you can't help but be human. And I feel that I have this connection when I can take a pulse of human emotion and I know how to channel it. And at least at this stage in my writing now, before when I used to go to these dark places, it used to move me where I, I had to walk away and I wasn't getting things done. But I developed this coping mechanism that allows me to go there and be able to take myself and to detach myself from the circumstance, which makes for a more dynamic experience. So thank you, Joy Diana, for, for acknowledging that. And if you, listeners, and if you have any writings you'd like to share or read live on the air, you can call at any time and in subsequent shows to come as well. Questions coming in, and since we are down to the last 20 minutes, I do want to spend a few minutes talking about those, talking or reading these comments. This comment or question comes from Tomas from, from Tampa, Florida. Thanks for listening up in, in central North Florida. Here, go, here goes Tomas. During the early 2000s, I used to work for an art gallery. I used to meet many patrons who appreciated art. But it's hard for writers to find a place to share their writings, at least for me. Where should I go to get started on a writing circle? Good question, Tomas. Earlier in the show, I mentioned how I joined the South Florida Writers Association. And I'm going to place a link. This probably will help Tomas and anyone else who's interested for that matter. There is a page. I came across a web page a few days ago that lists all of these really awesome associations or writers' circles or groups that exist around the nation here in America. And I'm going to place that link up because it even breaks it down. When you go to the site, it breaks down the information geographically by state. So I'm going to pro provide that for you. And I will tell you, Tomas, here in Florida, there are about seven or eight different associations, one of which I believe is up there your way that you can join. And if you're not Again, starting a circle requires some leadership, so I'm not sure where you're at with that. But if that's something you want to do, you should go for it. But if you want to be part of something that already exists, you will find that writers, groups, and circles are very embracing. They're very welcoming. So don't feel that you're going to go in and, and someone's going to hold a gun to you and tell you that you need to do this or don't write that or that maybe you're going to find a particular one genre of writers in this community. That's not the case. Instead, go on with an open mind and see what you find. But I'm going to provide that link on my webpage at billypauljones.com where you're able to see what's out there and find a, a platform or, or artist, or art of artistry that will support you. Miguel from Miami, Florida, writes the following. Thanks for representing and calling Miguel here in, in my own hometown. 
I've always wanted to write a story about my troubled family's past, but I'm afraid of the backlash I might receive for telling my story. What are your thoughts on this? Question, Miguel. Miguel, the one thing that my family always used to say in my early days of my career was, don't write about me in that book, and if you are, you better tell me about it. So when people would say that, even though they said it in jest, you have to take some sense of truth to it because at the end of the, at the, end of the day, we artists, we are emotional, we're, we're, we're sponges, we, we absorb emotion, experiences from people, and we find fascination in other people's storylines. And so, yes, as fun as it may be, it could be quite offensive to those who are not used to it. So, therefore, I agree with the fact that you may want to make sure that if you're writing something that is related to a, a tragedy or a circumstance or that relates so dearly to your family, first ask yourself, why are you writing this? Who is your intended audience for this particular writing? And once you publish it, it is surrendered to the world, so you're now going to expose this experience to a variety of other critics and supporters. And who is your target audience in that community? Is this, for instance, if you're someone who may have gone through, been victimized through domestic abuse, would this be for those individuals who've been in relationships similar thereto? Or is it for other individuals, for instance, who may have survived a family fire or the death of a loved one by a chronic illness? I'm not sure what your angle is, but regardless, before you decide to talk about other people's storylines and their issues, please, please, please make sure that you get support from others and get support from individuals who want to share and showcase and understand where you're at. And I always say that anonymity is key, so please make sure that you remain anonymous with your feelings. So if you're writing about a man named John, please make, and John is his true name, you may want to make him a Brett. And I'm, even though I'm being a little comical there, I'm also being serious, and that is at the end of the day, people have a right to have their own story told. In our own, we have the right to tell that story. But we also have to respect people's privacy and interests. So please make sure that you know where you're at in terms of your purpose for wanting to produce what you're going to produce before you begin to share it with the world. And there are ways. I will say this. I have shared things in Everyday Folks Volume 1 that were true stories. In fact, I can openly say today, Volume 2 coming out spring 2017, every story in there is true. Someone told me a story somewhere, somehow, and I will say this as well to those who are listening who know Billy Jones quite well. I will say that some of the stories are merging of two stories. So I may have taken a little aspect of something someone told me from two, three years or two years ago and then added to something someone told me just last night. It's my doing, my choice, but at the end of the day, I have a way of crafting it so that the person who reads it, they'll know, he or she will know who it is. But that's not my intention. My, my purpose is, is really to entertain and to express that, that experience in a very diversified or complex means. So I do, in fact, write from things that I know, and it's okay to do so. I have a question coming in from Delia from Orlando, Florida. Delia writes the following. Have you used genealogy to connect with your family's past? How much of your personal story is injected in your writing? Good question, Dahlia. I'll be honest. I feel my life is not as interesting. <laughs> it's not as interesting as other people's lives. <laughs> so I do, I will say this. 
one person, there's one person in my life whose story is so fascinating that I've actually written in Everyday Folks Volume 1, and I'm continuing to grow on this story in the Volume 2, is my, my grandmother, Betty Jones. Betty is an amazing, she is a beautiful, sexy diva at 75 years of age. She's still with us. And she also has an, an interesting tale of a story. And every time as a child she would tell us these stories from the time, for instance, when she had my mom at the age of my mom, my grandmother had my mom at the age of 14, and my grandfather was 18, they dropped out of school and they decided to start a family. And by the time she was 22, she had seven kids. There is value in knowing that story because if I decide to write from a female's perspective or point of view on the future story of a protagonist but similar to my grandmother as I have, I need to be able to understand what were the emotions like. Place myself in a 1960s America, pre- and post-civil rights, I have to do my homework, and even though she was living in very tumultuous times um, in, 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 in the south of America, but she also was living in very enlightening times because if it weren't for those times, we wouldn't be where we're at today. And so I needed to get a sense of all of that and what her, her emotions were like to be able to craft it into a story. So I had to do my homework. And Delia, uh, the second part of your question is how much of your personal story is injected. Quite often I do a, a bit of a lot. Since every story I wrote in the next book is about every, from everyone I know, a lot of my personal story is there, but it's not my story. I am working on a way to try to come out with a, a platform that only focuses on what I feel. And it's so funny. I don't think I think negatively of myself. I just don't feel that what I offer is so compelling for that storyline. And I guess that's what makes it okay. But maybe in the next in the years to come, I will find a moment when I want to reflect back and I decide to produce a work of, or a body of work that just speaks to Billy's truth. And when I do, I'll let you know. So thank you for listening and asking that awesome question. So I do have a couple of callers on the line. I'll see if I can get one of the callers in, if time permits. Hello, caller. You're live on the air at Billy. Hello. I hear some noise, but maybe I'm not able to get through fully. So there are a couple of callers who are calling in, and I will acknowledge here at the studio there have been, not on my end, but from the platform that services our, our, our Everyday Folks Radio, there have been some minor issues. Um, I got a note that came in right now. There have been some slight issues with call-ins. But if you still like to speak to me, you have 10 minutes to do so. I'm going to continue reading. I have a couple other comments and reflections that I'd like to add before I conclude. The first one is dark writing. And so what is dark writing? And one of my – I, I want to send a special shout-out to one of my students, Kayla Shaw, for this. In our Writing Out Loud group the other day, she mentioned, well, let's talk about dark writing. And she didn't realize that she was actually mentioning a coined term that's very popular today. So we talk about dark writing. It's like moving outside of horror writing. And dark writing is when we merge suspense, crime writing, um, horror we met at sci-fi, we can marry them into a new category. Even urban literature, graphic novels, they could be a form of dark writing. And it could be a bright, sunny day outside, and I decide to write something dark about it. So it, it, all, it doesn't matter what falls in the category. The key here is that dark writing embraces the, fact, the darker side of life and reality. And so if you decide to write in this particular genre, it's important that you keep in mind the following, just a couple of ideas. One, have fun with it. 
And it's, I always like, I write in dark writing on occasion, but it's neat to do so, especially in times when I want to step outside of my own comfort zone. So it's a great place to play in. But then secondly, there is, there is somewhat of a script to it. And so you may want to immerse yourselves in some of the folks who are, who are masters at this, I feel. And I'll, I'll cite, too, there's some folks who are masters at dark writing that are just beyond understanding. I would say it's H.P. Lovecraft, who is over 200 years old. In terms of writing, he's no longer alive. But he writes some of the stuff that has he actually is cited, if not championed, if not, or heralded by some of the contemporary writers of today, like Clive Barker. Clive Barker is um, the author and creator of the, the Hellbound Heart, which later spinned off movies such as Hellraiser, The Pinhead, and The Cenobites. That is a category, or at least a genre of horror, that can also fall on the dark writing. Or you can look at Octavia Butler, who rest her soul. She passed away almost a decade ago. But she is a sci-fi writer. There are very few female sci-fi writers out there, by the way. And she also was African descent. She wrote a book, um, um, a different book called Parable of the Sower, um, the, the Secret of Me. I, there are countless others. And she talks about these Africans who are super beings, and they're able to live and thrive, and they're like lycanthropic. They can turn into other forms of beings or animals, and they were incapable of dying. And I thought that was so fascinating because the, the dark part of the storyline is that they forever lived home while family members and others who were mortal or normal died, and they continued to memorialize their truth. It haunted them. And so finally, in one of the books, spoiler, of course, one of the characters decides to just kill herself by stop recreating. And that is dark in itself because if you had the ability to keep existing, well, don't you have the ability to commit the suicide of it? So that's a very haunting line to play. <laughs> so if you're interested in such writing of that type, you're welcome to explore Octavia Butler, H.P. Lovecraft, or Clyde Barker. I'm going to get to the last two questions. There are two left. Donald from Jacksonville, Florida, asked the following. Do good writers ever get tired of writing? And does writing about something so personal take a toll on you? Great question. So do good writers get tired? Yes. It's called writer's block. <laughs> we all get it. And so the key here is that you have to walk and go do other things. So as I'm writing, Donald, I'm writing two or three books now. I'm co-authoring one with Kip my friend and creator of Black Tongue Clothing. I'm also writing a poetry book. I'm finishing off on Everyday Folks, and I'm in a book club. I'm reading two other books. And how do I do it? I do because I love language. I love writing. I love human experience, so I don't find it as a daunting task. And I'm also in a career that affords me the opportunity to connect and bridge all these beautifully. So do writers ever get tired? We do. But you always, we don't get tired because we hate writing. We just get tired because of the, the thrills of life throw us off. And does writing about something so personal take a toll? It can, and it kind of goes back to what I said earlier, and that is you cannot get to a place, if you're going to write about something so sensitive, you have to be in a place yourself currently, presently, that allows you to go there without feeling exhausted or overwhelmed. If you find yourself in a situation where it is too sensitive, it may not be time to write. It doesn't mean you're not going to write it. It may not mean right now. And so you have to have those true conversations. We writers have to have true conversations with ourselves all the time. Talk to yourself and talk often. And, be on, and, be, and when you start answering, no, you're not crazy when you're having these conversations. But when you are having these true conversations, 
you begin to explore a greater truth and arrive at a higher truth in terms of who you are and how you're going to contribute to the writing canon. The last question that, is, that comes in is from Adrian. Adrian from Miami, Florida. Thank you for listening, Adrian. Adrian asked the following. As a young writer, I use writing to deal with my pain, but I'm afraid to publish it. What should I do? How can I help, how can I help my writing improve? So I'm going to take each part bit by bit. So what should you do to help to overcome the fear? One is to immerse yourself in a community of writers who are going to help you and share it. It doesn't mean you have to be in a writer's group of 60 people, but maybe maybe two or three. Find some individuals who are not going to judge you and who are going to give you critical feedback. Um, that helps if that is your purpose. If you're going to publish and list a good editor, Someone who's going to be able to give feedback. Because editors, a lot of folks don't realize this, but editors are not there to help fix your grammar issues. You need to, you should have a good mastery of grammar in, in the conventions of language, in American English, that at least. But also, you should have an understanding of the creative aspect, too. So if there's, if there's a creative writing class being offered at your college, if you're in college, or if you want to take it as a non-credit option, take a creative writing class. That helps as well. And there are really great options at community colleges around the globe. And how can I help? How can I? How can I help? How can I help? I think you meant to say, how can I improve my writing? But quite simply, you should read more. I think the more you read, the better you write, the better you speak. When I immerse myself in other people's inventions, I get a sense of who they are, and it's very exciting. I like to see how they play on words. I'll use uh, Judy Kofer, who wrote a beautiful poem titled Quinceanera, and she talks about, in a very dark sense, she talks how she makes tragedy out of the Quinceanera experience and the coming of age from a girl to a woman. And so that experience was quite helpful for her, and it was helpful for me as a reader to get a sense of something I never would experience as a male. So, folks, we are, come, we are now down to the last two minutes of the show, and I want to take a few time, a few minutes to say thank you. Thank you for listening to me and for tuning in. Everyday Folks Radio is a beautiful platform because it allows extraordinary everyday people like me to get a chance to connect with extraordinary people, everyday people like you. And so I thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you will continue to do so. Next Sunday at 3 p.m. will be another follow-up show, a variety show of sorts. We'll be exploring additional topics that will be posted later in the week on my blog and my radio and my webpage. And I do want you to tune in. If you haven't listened to Anike's Journey into Passion show yesterday, you can visit Everyday Folks Radio and as well as BillyPaulJones.com to go back to that particular show and to hear the show. All of our shows here on Everyday Folks Radio are, are archived and they're available in the, in the repository of Blog Talk Radio and as well as on my author page, Billy Paul Jones. And for those of you who are out celebrating, this is, the summer is a beautiful time to celebrate and get out and get rest. Please do so. I ask that you just arrive alive, enjoy the scenery, and spend time with those who are significant to you. And then somewhere in there, if you're a writer or an artist like me, find some time to write. This is a beautiful season to be out in nature and explore writing in your artistry. So get out there and write and, and find yourself. Thank you for tuning in to the show. I will be back next Saturday, Saturday, July 3rd at 3 p.m., same time and same place. Until then, take care of yourselves, and good luck. Have a great week. <laughs>